This is a Capricorn FM podcast. We joined this evening for a political engagement with political analyst uh, Lukwana Mgoni, who is uh, as well the host of um, Power Talk at uh, sister station Power FM. Lukwana, good evening. Welcome to Progressive Talk. Uh, good evening, and uh, I nearly said good evening and welcome to Power Perspective. So <laughs> now I, 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 yeah. I host a show on Power 98.7, so I'm yeah. often welcoming people on the line rather than... <laughs> than, than being welcomed on the line. <laughs> than being welcomed on the line, absolutely. Yeah. Now, no, no, thank you for joining. I was listening to you earlier today, having great conversations. You were, you were talking about... Um, or you were talking to, to Sanef, of course, on, on one other end, uh, which was a very interesting engagement as well. But, but this is an issue, of course, that you have had an opportunity to, to grapple with as well. The protests that we have seen around uh, free education. Let's start here now and we'll go back and go many directions with it. How is the government handling the issues of uh, free education, of protests, of historical debt? Well, look, I mean, this is a a historic problem itself, by the way. And um, I think government has not done enough to respond to the crisis. Mm. And the reports have been there. Funny enough, uh, just to let your listeners in, Mm. the most incisive report on this matter was written by the sitting president, uh, at least by a committee he was chairing Mm. for Dr. Bladen's Monday in 2013, which was a review of the funding model of higher education broadly. And this was following the now late uh, Professor Palindulo's report on questions around NSFAS and issues of residences and accommodation. So I'm trying to say in the mm. last 10 years, mm. there's been so much work done on this question, mm. but there's not been enough responsiveness on the finding of these works. Mm. Uh, part of the finding is that in real terms, government subsidy to the sector has in fact declined. Mm, and mm. what you were seeing, in fact, I just tweeted reminiscing. My first protest was was at Vate in 2007 mm. uh, in an SRC led by Mbali Shope and we said in those. <clears throat> mm. and, 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 and when I think back to that moment, we were already fighting uh, the likes of 9.5% increase of fees. And you'd find that there'd be an increase for fees and then there'd be an increase for residents uh, or slash accommodation fees, mm. which of course would impact meals if you were in the meals allowance space. Mm. Now, <clears throat> historically, what, what, what this means is that, in fact, we have been having increases in the higher education sector that far surpassed uh, what we usually use as a benchmark for any increase, which is the inflation mm. rate in the country, the CPI. Now, uh, because these increases in higher education, so you can imagine if you are paying both fees and residents, uh, if it's 9% this side and 8.5% that side, your fees, broadly speaking, could be double-digit uh, increase figures if you are affected by the accommodation issue. Mm. And this has been the trend for the longest time. I'll just make you a quick example. When I got to UK at the end in 2010, mm-hmm. Um, a degree that cost about 23,000 rands uh, today costs well over 40,000 rands. Mm. And this is just in a space of 10 years. Yeah. So I've been, I've been saying to colleagues, there's something that's wrong with the model, mm. the funding model of higher education. Yeah. The, inflationary, the inflationary logic has been taken as 
a, 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 a truth that must happen at all times, mm-hmm. which is not the case. So I'm trying to suggest to you that government over the years has not dealt with this issue. So when you look at the quantum of historic debt, part mm. of what shoots up the quantum of historic debt is the fact that um, um, is the fact that the fees have been escalating quite high. But mm. the other problem you have with historic debt yes. is that some students have been financially excluded. Mm. So what that means is they've never gotten an opportunity to finish their higher education study. Yeah. So the point the point I want to make, categorically speaking, is to say um, part of the problem in the funding model of universities is that those who have mm. tend to need to at least those who are self-funding are seen as the haves. And of course, over the years, we have now started talking about the missing middle, those mm. who are not rich enough to self-fund, but uh, not quote-unquote poor enough uh, to fall into the NSFAS category. And this poses... Uh, numerous challenges, mm, but mm. but you also have the historic debt. So when when we talk today and say South Africa's historic debt in the whole sector is about ten billion rand, um, if you were to account how many of those are owing and are people who dropped out because of financial or academic exclusion, um, you'd find that the students who are academically capable and could be productive uh, participants in the economy are being punished for people that fell by the wayside because the Mm -hmm. universities are not meeting their revenue demands and their overhead challenges. So I'm I'm simply simply saying this is the problem that is there. And Mm -hmm. and I think we are not having an open enough conversation and government is not being uh, dynamic in its understanding of the problem and how best to solve it. Because it's quite clear that you need these universities to be assisted to scrape off part of this debt because it's Mm. it's that debt. They can't recover it because the students who owe them have never finished a degree. And for that reason are probably most likely to fall into a workforce category that will be underpaid in terms of wages. And and you're saying that government not dynamic enough and someone would say not proactive enough because since the time you remember, since the time you were active, there's been a protest every year about this or that that relates to uh, funding and they've been the bigger ones they've been the different investigations in 2017 actually the former president jacob zuma uh, 2017 2017 had the had another commission that investigated the feasibility of uh, free education now Shouldn't government be in a position by now to plan for these things, to know that come this time we will be facing these issues and these are the solutions we should have? Uh, Having had the challenges of the pandemic as well, but government should have been in a better position at the very least to deal with these challenges. Cutting the funding perhaps doesn't show serious foresight from government. Well, of course, I mean, uh, but the, the conundrum for government is twofold. In, in the first instance, uh, universities are seen as autonomous from government and therefore uh, self-governing, and they must try within their balance sheet uh, to solve the problems that are there with the you know, wisdom of council and senate uh, taking precedence to make sure that these issues are resolved. But of course, government can't run away from the fact that equally, they have a duty to these institutions because, as I say, in 2013, the Ramaphosa report mm. uh, also created a philosophical problem for us because uh, it identified university education as both having a public good and a private benefit. 
And this dualism in meaning uh, then meant that uh, the state would fund mm. uh, the public good part, but the student would have to fork out uh, monies for the private benefit because they were arguing that the individual themselves accrue private benefits in terms of prestige, in terms of employment, income, and therefore what happens in the household where they spend that income. Uh, but 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 rather short-sighted philosophical understanding of it because in essence, it's mm. quite a public good because entirely all these, if I'm able to look after my family, it means I'm able to reduce dependency on the state. It means that I'm able to alleviate certain burdens and commitments that the state should have to some citizens because I'm educated and I have this ability to do these things for my family. So I'm saying philosophically, we also have a problem in terms of how the government understands higher education. And most mm. people who usually use the Freedom Charter as a document that calls for free higher education up to tertiary level, mm. they need to revisit the Freedom Charter and read it properly. Because okay. the Freedom Charter, in essence, calls for competition where scholarships are used for deserving students to be given an opportunity. And you've can imagine. Freedom mm. Charter written in 1955 with a great deal of influence of white communists at the time. Mm. This idea of competition and individuality was quite pronounced at then. And even ANC comrades were competing for scholarships. The likes of Chabumbegi, who went and studied abroad, were being given scholarships to make sure that they do this study. So I'm, say, I'm saying to you, this issue is very complicated. It's not only just a question of foresight. It's a question yeah. of our philosophical understanding of higher education mm. and how do we tackle the question of... By the way, let, let, let's, let's just be, let, let me just say this bluntly. Yeah. The problem of historic debt, which is 10 billion, is the problem of SAA, which can be given 10 billion and 13 billion. And I'm not trying to create moral equivalent here. I'm simply saying if the state took 10 billion mm. and wiped out this historic debt, found other ways to recollect whatever some people who can pay can still pay and create that revenue. Mm. You would give such breathing space to the balance sheets of universities to a point that this at least could be averted for the next 10 to 20 years in our high institutions. So you're you're also saying with the same enthusiasm of bailing out SAA, the state has it within its power to solve this temporarily at the very least? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and more permanently, because I appeared before the HEHA Commission on the question of higher education, fee-free higher education that yeah. was being investigated by that commission. Mm. And I said to the HEHA Commission, one of the things that we got wrong was our BE policy. Mm. Because imagine if it was a university that owed uh, the kind of stakes that Ramaphosa owns in some of this company, that owns as much as Petrus Motepe owns in some of these entities, or even just 10% of what he owns, and all other BE beneficiaries. In fact, even proposed a radical policy to say, Parliament should create a piece of legislation where we can identify people are beneficiaries of BE and their companies are doing well. Mm. At least 5 to 10% of what they own today must accrue to universities. That's what we call endowment mm. of higher education. So if you go to the UK, for example, the likes of Cambridge University, Oxford University and the likes, they own land in central London, which was endowed to them by the royal family. And why is that important? Mm. It means that those who are Piccadilly Square, Leicester Square, and other areas 
who have now built and leased that land, they are renting directly to the universities and therefore those universities are income generating. These are all important things for us to think about and say, how do you endow these universities? Because they can't perpetually rely on such a turbulent and vulnerable fiscus. Yeah. Look, you've actually already answered partly this question I'm about to ask about how we understand um, higher education. Uh, The fact that the former president contributed to it may not be helping the ruling party's position at the moment. We've seen the SG saying something. Actually, so former President uh, uh, Jacob Zuma yeah. over the weekend also making a comment about this, but goes back to, to the Freedom Charter, which you've already touched on. Now, is the ruling party currently placing itself in a better position to deal with it? Some are saying the way the ruling party is dealing with this is just showing us it's incapable, that uh, it's, it's just surprising. No, 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 no. You, you've got to go back to uh, Mangaung 2012. Yeah. Uh, the, the ruling party is extremely dishonest. I, I, I hate calling people liars on radio. Um, so I'll use the dishonesty phrase. Okay. They're extremely dishonest. Because in Mangaung, by mm. the way, mm. the diagnosis of the ruling party was correct in that conference. Mm. Because they then said uh, in a year's time, which would be the end of 2013. Yeah. Uh, the ruling party should have come up with a discussion document on free higher education until the first degree. It's there. If you revisit the Mangaung 2012 conference resolutions, you'll find this part on the segment on higher education. But they never did it. They Mm. never committed to it. Because Mm. this current governing party is incapable of doing anything that it sets its pace on or it sets its sight on. They have just abandoned the ability to do and the commitment to do so they will analyze what needs to happen but they will not be able to do and therefore they were unable to come up with that and then by the time the protest came in 2015 in the higher education sector guess what had they had that discussion document in 2013 had it been part of their manifesto offerings in 2014 had it been part of their budgeting and medium term strategies by then Mm. they could have averted entirely the fees must fall generation and the fees must fall protest. But because this governing party has lost all ability to perform on the task it sets itself out on its own ambition, it just relaxes once it has made promises. The best job this governing party has is to make promises to this country. But to follow through is something that they are completely non-committal on. All right. Let me cut away from this. And, and, and I see we, you, you could go on and on on this matter, having worked no, on it. on that subject, any day, <laughs> even in my sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I read that. Now, one other issue that is there, uh, you saw the uh, so-called TWA, the t- Twitter exchange between Minister Mbalula, Minister Lindewe Susulu. Minister Mbalula uh, apologized for uh, something he said responding or relating to Minister but when you look at all of it, really, what, what you do find is this issue of um, campaign funds, be it the CR17, is the contentious issue that the ANC still grapples with. Because in the in the analysis of it, what you find, he was asking uh, Minister Lindwe Susulu, who funded you? And the same many ask, who funded uh, Dr. Kosazanadla Minizum? No, of course. Uh, look... Um, by the way, it's not as if they don't all have an idea. Remember, Manula himself has been on particulars late. He was on the 
Slate in Mangaung for Kalama Mutlande where he was running as Secretary General. And he was with Dr. Zuma in Nazarek. Indeed. And so he has an idea how these things are funded. He has an idea that it's not free. But what is quite unique and different with the CR17 campaign funds is that they were regulated and even trusted. Usually, comrades use these things in kind. Uh, some people will make money available for this or that ad hocly, uh, rather than it taking such a formal turn. I, I, I doubt I doubt any other campaign took as formal a turn, and partly probably took formal a turn because you know Ramaphosa was coming from a business perspective, but it has really turned and knotted him into greater difficulty than others can be because you can't probably prove the money trail and, and so on because you'd have to i mean it's like uh, zuma back then when there was the friends of zuma an account was open yeah. so you could trace and track those transactions i don't think it's like that for every candidate mm. but the point is this the, the 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 way in which the anc divisions have now come to play themselves in the public uh, front is a testament of how much the divisions have crystallized, how much respect is lost among leaders and how much people are willing to embarrass uh, the other uh, in service of their own narrow political agenda. And I, and I think really where we are, for me, the, the ANC is no longer a big issue for me. Mm. Uh, citizens must just preoccupy themselves with, if, if, we, if, 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 we, if we must deal with this kind of uh, petulance from the ruling party and uh, you know childish behavior how do we make sure that we just cancel them and minus them from our thinking about the political future of this country because they are importantly demonstrating to everybody that the relations are so bad i mean i mean i i it's like it's like it's like it's like fighting with your wife on twitter and uh, yeah. you think that at home you'll yeah. be able to repair the problem that you are you are airing the dirty laundry that you are airing mm. that's the extent of disregard and disrespect that these leaders have for one another and i think it tells us that uh, the anc stands very little chance to become a cohesive entity once more that can govern this country thank you very much lucon appreciate your time no bongamina bongamina that was a capricorn fm podcast for more podcasts visit capricornfm.co.za